Hey, this is Christian Golden. Welcome to our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message encourages you. I hope it builds you up. Enjoy the message. So last week we talked about the anointing, and uh, I learned quite a bit about that. And we, we talked about the difference between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So the indwelling is what you get once you ask Jesus to be your Savior. You get an anointing. You're anointed. The infilling is what you get when you, God blesses you with a talent or a specific skill set, even for a single purpose. And that anointing is to do what? It's to honor God. It's to serve a purpose, to advance his kingdom and not our own. That's one way you'll know if you're anointed is whose kingdom are you advancing? So this morning, the message is going to be on revival and I asked a question on our church page, what is revival? And I hope you thought about that and, and what you thought revival is to you and maybe what it means to our church and to our nation. But I also asked, how do we get it? Because I think there's some confusion. So we're going to talk about that this morning. But first I had to, had to come to some grips with some things that's going on with us as a people, as God's chosen people, with some conditions of our heart that we need to get out first. Because in order to get revival, in order for revival to happen, we have to be cleansed of some things. You know what I'm saying? We have to be cleansed of some things in our heart. So, and as I looked across, studying this message, and I looked across the, the world stage, I see a people, uh, two generations of men and women, the ones who have changed history and the ones who are suffering the consequences because of those who have changed the history. Both generations, I can say, have turned away from their first love. Jesus Christ. Now more than ever, I understand what Isaiah 5.20 means. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The world that we live in is in a state of absolute moral rot. The sanctity of marriage has gone by the wayside. Divorce rate is at an all-time high. Teen pregnancy is at an all-time high. Children are being abused by the very people God sent to protect them. Suicide is so common now it don't even shock us to hear about it anymore. Murder is glamorized on television. Homosexuality is glamorized on television. And we're told if it feels right to you, then it has to be right. We're told that you have to seek out your truth. Search for my truth. We're told to search for your truth. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. And one thing I've learned in all my years of study is that truth isn't what I say it is. Truth isn't what you say it is. Truth is what God says it is. And Jesus talks about this in Revelations chapter Two and three. And to the angel of the church of Ephesus, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Where are we at with that church? Where are we at this morning with our first love? When your nation allows a grown man to go into the bathroom where a little girl is, you have lost your first love. When your nation allows the Bible and prayer to be taken out of school, you have lost your first love. Millions of prayers are going up to God. Every time a deranged maniac runs into a school and opens fire with a rifle, we cry out to God. We cry out and we say, why did you allow this to happen, God? 
and we shake our fist at him and say, how could you, a loving God, allow this to happen? You know what God says? What do you want me to do? You took me out of your school. I'm not allowed in there anymore. We've left our first love. When your nation allows one man to marry another man, you have left your first love. When your country allows innocent babies to be ripped from their mother's womb and sold as parts on the black market, you have left your first love, church. Romans 1, 24-32. It's a long read, but it's important that we read it. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God's for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for that, those that are contrary to nature. And men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. This is the Bible saying this, not me. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceitful, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. People replace God's truth with Satan's lie. So what is Satan's lie? Worshiping the creature and not the creator. Worshiping man and not instead of God. Worshiping things instead of Christ. Have we gotten to that point? Do we worship things more than we worship Christ? Do we worship man more than we worship Christ? And you have to understand this. You cannot exchange the truth for a lie. Because the truth that is believed and obeyed sets us free. Let me say that again. That should have been an amen. Because the truth that is believed and obeyed sets us free. Because we are free through Christ. The truth that is rejected and disobeyed makes us slaves. Amen? Pastors all across this globe are committing adultery with members of their congregation. They have exchanged the truth for a lie. Why? Because they've left their first love. Adultery don't just affect the two people committing it. It affects your wife. It affects your husband. It affects your children. It affects your mom and your dad. It affects your coworkers. It affects your church and the people around you. And most of all, it affects your walk with Christ. When you lie to somebody, they forgive you. When you steal from people, they forgive you. But when you do commit that which is forbidden, it takes people a long time to forgive something like that that's happened. And even longer to forget. It ain't worth it. If you're on the fence right now, run away. Don't be ashamed to run. Joseph ran. If you've already done it, repent. 
This kind of stuff is happening so much the more in this country. Why? Because we have left our first love. We glamorize the music superstars as they commit lewd and disgusting things on their music videos that get millions and millions of views. And we allow our children to watch this stuff. And we allow it to corrupt their minds and what they think is acceptable because we allow them to see these things. Because it's the phone and the television has become a babysitter across this nation so we don't have to deal with immediate issues. We sit back and do what we want to do. We've become lazy as parents. We've become lazy as Christians and we give them a, a little squawk box and tell them, go do what you want. I'll check in a couple weeks and see if you looked at anything bad. It's not the kid's fault. It's our fault. We spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on name brand clothes and then act like we're going broke putting $20 in the offering plate. One of the things that I remember so much that Pastor used to always say, it's amazing how small a $20 bill looks at Walmart and how big it looks at church. And why is that, church? Because we're hypocrites. Because we're always asking for money. It costs money to run a business, to run an organization. Let me tell you something. All these commercials, these ads, all these sales papers you see that you get in the mail every day, what are they asking for? Money. So why is it a hard thing for us to ask you to donate to pay the electricity bill so we can have heat when we come in and serve God? We have left our first love, church. We drive all afternoon through, through rush hour traffic so we can be early and park in a lot that requires us to walk half a mile in the pouring rain to watch a football game in a stadium that is filled with hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people, and yet we won't walk across the street to get to church when it's cold. And when we do come in, we often come in late, and we're watching our clocks the whole time so we could leave early to see what time the game starts so we can get to lunch first. Where is our priorities, church? I'm, and I'm talking to myself. This ain't for y'all. This is for me. Please don't text me afterwards. Because y'all do that. So what, all, what does all that have to do with revival? What does all this that I'm saying have to do with revival? And why am I sharing all this with you before we talk about it? Because it's things like this that I just mentioned that keep revival from coming to our land. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Who are you serving today? As long as we blindly run through this life, we will never see true revival. And I had people ask me, why do you always sound so hopped up on Sundays? I mean, why are you so aggressive? I say, I don't know. I'm just passionate about what I'm doing. I'm not mad, but I'm angry at the fact that we've quit so easy and given up on God. And we don't even give him a chance to work in our lives and we just quit. We just stop. We'd rather do the things that please us than the things that please God. And unfortunately, people don't like to hear that. But I've committed to the Lord that if I can't preach the truth, then I don't want to preach at all. There's plenty of preachers that preach to make itching ears. They'll tell you what you want to hear. And when you give good sermons, when you tell people and make them feel good, they give more. It's a statistic, believe it or not. When people feel good and, and, and they hear the messages about all the blessings and all the glory that God has given them, they give a lot more. But when you tell them you're a sinner and you're going to hell if you don't repent, they hold on to that pocketbook. And it ain't, this morning ain't about money, but that's just the truth. 
That's just the cold, hard facts of it. But I'm not a, a feel-good preacher. I question if I'm even a preacher. <laughs> Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. And when we stand before God on that day and he gives us our earned wage, what are we going to say? That's not something that was given to us. That is something that we earn. The wages of sin, you earn a paycheck. You earn the repercussion of the sins that you commit. And it's time that we start calling sin for what it is. It's time that we stop glamorizing sin. You can put lipstick and perfume on a pig and it's still a pig. You can put lipstick and perfume on sin and it's still sin. And what, what we've gotten to as a church, as a nation, is we like to compartmentalize our sins. We have three boxes. Well, this sin ain't so bad. This sin is kind of middle of the road. You know, I might mention to a few of my close friends, but these sins, I'm never going to mention to anybody. And what we've done is we've compared our not-so-bad sins to everybody else's. I'm never going to speak these sins to anybody. And then we make ourselves look good because we compare our truth, our sins against somebody else who's living wild and reckless to make ourselves feel good. And God says, you need to compare your sin to me. I'm the standard, not Daryl, not Gabe. You compare your sins at the cross. That's the only level playing field. It's time that we call sin, that we cast sin away from us. It's time that we fall on our knees and repent. One of the, the things that God has been speaking in my spirit for the last year or so is that we want all the benefits of being a Christian, but none of the responsibility. We want to stand up and be a teacher, and we want to stand up and be a preacher, and we want to stand up and lead, but we don't want to put in the work. We want all the benefits that heaven has to offer, the rewards, the crowns, the eternal life, but we don't want to put in the work. See, we want all to have all the good stuff, but we don't want to give up the bad. And you can't have both. You can't have both. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. The first thing is, if we have to hear his voice, then he's knocking. Then we have to let him in. And when, he, when we do that, we sit at this table with him. Just like we had communion this morning. We break bread with Jesus. We have fellowship with him. That's a personal relationship. You don't go to a dinner with people you don't like. If you're having dinner with Jesus, it's because he loves you. It's because he likes you. We want all the benefits of being a Christian, but none of the responsibility. We want all the rewards of being faithful without giving up the pleasures and desires of this world. And I've been on my knees crying out to God, Lord, make me perfect, holy. I don't want to sin against you anymore. And in case you didn't know, I do sin. As most of y'all do. The only difference is I talk about mine on Sunday mornings and y'all don't. I know I'm a sinner. I know I have shortcomings. I know I'm not perfect. But I don't judge my sin against somebody else's. We don't want to give up the pleasures and desires of the world. You can have that if you want it. You can have the desires and the pleasures of the world. You can ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior and be born again and mean it with your heart and come to church every week and nothing changes. 
you're still going to go to heaven. You can sit in a pew every Sunday and not do anything. As long as you're saved, you're still going to go to heaven. Pastor Paul taught us that was the innumerable, that, that was the sea of glass where people have the palm branches and they're waving holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's because they just got in because they were saved. Or you can have a reward. Or you can stand at the foot of, of Jesus Christ at his throne and throw your crowns of salvation that you've been out witnessing and evangelizing and winning people to Christ. We want, don't want to give up the pleasures and desires of this world. And so many of us are like Samson. In the book of Samson, you read that Samson was set apart as a Nazarite from his birth. And there were some vows that he had to take. Three vows that not only Samson had to take, but Samson's mom. Number one, he shall never cut his hair. Number two, he shall never touch anything unclean, anything dead. He shall never eat anything because when he does, he becomes unclean. And number three, no grapes, no wine, no fermented drink. So what did Samson do? Samson grows up. Samson does everything he set apart. He's a Christian. He does everything that God said not to do. How many of us are like Samson? We believe in Christ. We know we're saved, but yet we're still partaking of the pleasures of this world. A little here and a little there. A little bit goes a long way when you're talking about sin and separation from God. It doesn't take much. And just like Samson, his long hair is what set him apart as a Nazarite. When people saw him, they knew he was a man of God because of his outward appearance. Yet he broke every covenant he made with God, but he still had long hair. He was rotting on the inside, but he still had the appearance of a Nazarite. His outward appearance still looked like he was a man of God. Are you hearing me, church? We're running around like Samson. We have an outward appearance of being a Christian, but we're dead on the inside because we don't have any fruit being bore from our labor, from the seeds that we're planting, because we're not planting seeds anymore. We look like a Christian. We talk like a Christian. We come to church, but we're dead on the inside. We quote all the right verses, but we're defiled on the inside. We sing all the songs. We are broken in so many ways. We've been sinning for so long that I would question if we even know that it's sin anymore that we forget we're sinning. And one of the reasons for that is we no longer fear the Lord. We no longer fear the Lord. In the, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, there was a husband and a wife, Ananias and Sapphira. And they, were, they came in and they got together and decided, hey, just in case this whole Jesus thing don't work, we're going to keep a portion of the money back. And they came and presented that to Peter and the church and, well, long story short, the Holy Spirit killed them. The Holy Spirit killed them. Not the disciples. Make no mistake about it. It was God. And why did they die? They died because they sinned. It wasn't because they kept the money. It was because they lied to the Holy Spirit. How many of us are lying to the Holy Spirit right now? We're asking for one thing with our mouth, but our heart is doing another. What if when we sinned, what if... When I committed a sin, I was, I, got the, um, I was judged at that moment. 
What if when I committed sin, immediately I was punished? It wouldn't take long for us to get some act right in it, would it? It wouldn't take long for one person who committed adultery that was stoned to death for us to say, you know what, I don't think I'm going to do that. It wouldn't take long for somebody who stole something and had their arm cut off for us to realize, I don't want to do that. But you know what the problem is? We don't immediately suffer the consequences of our sin, so we keep doing it. And it's like a snowball. It starts off little, and it just builds up, and it builds up, and it builds up. Before you know it, you're asking me, Lord, what happened? Not me, you're asking God, not me. What happened, Lord? Where did all this come from? We don't fear the Lord. When is the last time you repented? I mean a deep repentance. I'm not talking about a forgive me for my sins, Jesus, once a week while continuing to ascend repentance. I mean a brokenness in your spirit because you're sad from sinning repentance. I mean a crying out to God because you're sick and tired of sinning repentance. I'm tired of the separation from you, God, repentance. I'm ready for all things to be made new, repentance. And this, the thing about nothing is going to become new until we get rid of the old. You can't keep doing the same thing every day, day in and day out, and expect a different result. If your life is in chaos and you're doing something and you don't know why your life is in chaos, switch something up. You may not even know you're sinning. Because if you're not in the word of God and you're not praying every day, some of the things that the world says is okay, we may think it's not sin, but when in actuality it is sin. And when we sin, it separates us from God. It doesn't have to be big sins. The little foxes spoil the vines. It can be little sins. What are you watching at night? Until we get to that place in our walk with God, we won't ever see a revival. And one of the things that God spoke to me this week as I'm studying and I'm just praying, Lord, help me to say the right things. I don't ever want to give anybody a false hope or a false vision. Or, or That's one of the reasons I don't talk about visions. And most of the times I will never mention a vision that I've had until it comes to pass. But God gave me a little vision on this, if you want to call it. He said, we can talk about revival. We can dream about revival. We can even write home to mama about revival. But it won't come until repentance becomes real in our lives. It won't come until we turn from our wicked ways. Father, we need a revival, Jesus. We need revival right now, Father God. We need a, a foot stomping, a tongue speaking, aisle running, Jesus shouting revival. Amen? Where's all my tongue speakers at? Any other Sunday, y'all are fired up. Where's every, all the aisle runners at? I promise you, if y'all see me running or screaming in tongues, you know the Holy Spirit done got a hold of me. Y'all better grab on. You better grab on. Father, we need a revival. We need the Holy Spirit to show up and show out. We need 
the Holy Spirit to show up and show out. He wants to show up. He stands at the door out there every Sunday, knocks. Are y'all going to let me in today? Are we going to try it again next week? But just like an old faithful coon dog, he always comes back and he waits for us. He's such a gentleman. Isn't God such a gentleman? He's not ever going to force anything upon you. If you don't want him in your life, he's not going to invade it. He won't invade it. He won't make you do anything you don't want to do. But he's a gentle God. He's a patient God. And as he has been in my life, he is a loving God. And part of a loving God means correction. And those are the hardest times in our lives is when we're being chastened and corrected. But if we'll let the process happen and we'll let God do what he's going to do in our lives, we'll be purified as gold. All the, the, the chaff will be separated from the wheat. Until we get to that place in our walk with God where we have true repentance in our heart, we won't ever see revival. We need you, God, to send the rain, the Holy Spirit fire to fall upon our heads like it did in the book of Acts to the 120. Now, I'm going to share a vision I had with y'all that came to pass about <clears throat> sometime in May or June. We was up here, we was worshiping. I'm not sure what songs y'all were playing, Gabe but it was one of the first times that I was able to enter in into a, a different level of worship because I don't know how to worship. You know, I don't know how. I, I wasn't trained to worship like that. And so I watched people like Miss Roberta and all the, all the other ladies, how they get up here and they just worship God and they just get into this different place. And I'm like, God, why can't I do that? And so I was just, you know, I'm one of them guys, when, when something's going on, if, if you know, Somebody is over here giving a loud whoop or a yell. It distracts me. I get so distracted. And I understand that's something i got to deal with because I, the last thing I'm going to do is hinder the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people scream out because they've been re, re, uh, released from something. You know what I'm saying? And so if you don't understand it, just let it go. Try to focus. That's what a pastor used to always tell me. Tim, I, we can't, if we stop everybody, then they're going to be afraid to worship. Yeah, people get in the flesh. Yeah, people do things that they shouldn't be doing. But don't let it affect you. And so I said, okay. So I started entering into the worship, deep worship. And I'm standing there, and I finally entered in. And just all of a sudden, I was in this whole new place. And it wasn't a new place. It was a place I've been before. It was at Chocolate Bayou Worship Center. And I know now this vision had nothing to do with Chocolate Bayou Worship Center. I just happened to be there for that time. In this vision, and in this vision, I was standing under the canopy, and the Holy Spirit was falling like raindrops. But it wasn't rain, it was fire. And each flame of fire was the Holy Spirit was designated for each person. And there was multitudes of people under this canopy, as far as the eye could see. And some people ran out and grabbed their flame, which is the Holy Spirit, which is their anointing. And I don't know if y'all remember that, but that's when I walked up here, and I stood here, and I was doing this. I was pulling my flame down in this vision. But sadly, there were so many people who were afraid of it, because they didn't understand it, and it's because we're not teaching it right. 
And then sadly, again, there were so many people that refused to go get it because they were comfortable. And at the end of that vision, I was standing here at this pulpit, and Pastor Paul came walking from there to over here, and he said, I want you to start preaching once a Sunday to help me out. And it was probably a week or two after that, I started just once a week, once a month, and now here I am. I'll tell you another vision that I had while we're talking about visions. I had two dreams. This all ties in with revival, by the way. I had two dreams, and I document everything. That's probably one of my biggest downfalls is I write everything down. I had two visions, two dreams, and they were a month and a half apart, two months apart. And in this vision, I was sitting in Pastor Paul's office at his desk preparing for a sermon. And Pastor Paul came in and sat down and rested the full weight of his head on my chest. Didn't say nothing. Didn't say nothing. And that was it. Then I had the same exact dream. We shouldn't share dreams and visions until they come to pass, unless you have a specific word from the Holy Spirit. Because I've been involved with conversations where people have come up and given sidewalk prophecies to somebody in the parking lot and ruined their lives. There's people that don't come to our church anymore because of that. But you have to be sensitive to that. We want that Holy Spirit to fall and to fall upon us so that when we have visions and we have dreams, we know it's from the Lord. And I had another dream last night. And I'm not one of these guys that have dreams and visions. I just don't. That's not who I am. I don't claim to have that link with God. But when I have them, I write them down. And I wrote some more down last night. But we won't ever get true revival until we allow the Holy Spirit to come inside of us and purge us from the uncleanness, from the wickedness that we so easily get entangled up in. We won't ever see true revival until we get the old ways of the world out of us. And for some of us, we've been so conditioned that we allow certain things into our lives. But it hinders us. It separates us from God. And we glamorize sin like it's okay Love the sinner, hate the sin. Yeah, we love everybody, but we can't use that as an excuse. You have to love them, but you got to tell them, look, this is what's going to happen if you don't stop. Imagine what it's going to be like when you stand before Christ. And he says, you know, I, I wanted you to say such and though, this and that to this person about the sins that they're entangled up in and be an example to them. And you didn't do it. Sin is nasty. It's disgusting. It separates families. And we get so caught up in it. We won't ever get revival if we don't ever get sorry for our sins, church. And not just being sorry. You can be sorry that you spent all the rent money at the bar last week and go out next week and do it again. That's not what I'm talking about. You got to be sorry to the point where you don't want to do it anymore. We need to be that sorry that will lead us to repentance. There was a video that I watched uh, years ago at Heights Baptist Church. And in this video, as soon as the video came up, there was this, this uh, young man who had his head ducked down into a tank of water. 
And that's all it showed. And it showed the bubbles coming out of his mouth. And we're sitting there like, I'm starting to pass out because I feel like I'm about to lose my breath. Watching this guy hold his breath as long as he can, for as long as he can. And the bubbles are coming out. And you can see he's struggling. He needs air. He needs air. And finally, he comes up. And the words come across the screen. When you need me this much, your life will change. How bad do we want Christ? How bad do we want revival to come to our nation? Enough that you're willing to change some things? To give up some things? It's going to cost you something. Salvation is free, but everything else is going to cost you. It's going to cost you your time. It's going to cost you your commitment to your brothers. It's going to cost you where you got to be quiet sometimes and listen. It's going to cost you some finances. But what is that compared to eternity? What is that compared to eternity? You have to be willing to let the Holy Spirit in and purge you of these sins that's in your life. If you want something you ain't never had, church, you have to be willing to do something you ain't never done. When's the last time we have saw revival break out at like Christian Center? Y'all can text me that if you want. You don't have to scream out from the audience. You have to be willing to do something you ain't never done. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Who wants revival to break out? Who wants to see a revival break out in this land? In our cities? In our church? It can happen. It can happen. But revival has to break out inside of you. Psalms 85, 4 through 7, he says, Restore us, O God, of our salvation, and cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Father, Lord, and grant us your salvation. Revival only happens inside of you. Get that in your spirit. We keep waiting for revival to happen around us, but God's saying, I want it to happen within you. It's like a well, a spring of water rushing forth. We want it to happen around us. We keep waiting for it to happen, but we're waiting on the wrong things. It needs to come from within you. Did y'all catch that this morning? If God can get it in us, he can get it through us. If he can get revival to break out in our heart and our spirit and our mind and our soul and our emotions, guess where else it's going to break out? Everywhere we go, at the job site, at the park when we're skating, at the beach, in the men's group, in the women's group. If you can get revival to break out in you, it's going to be contagious. Just like misery loves company, so does joy. I want to be around happy people. I want to be around people who are smiling. Who want change? Revival only happens inside of you. And if it don't happen in you, if revival never happens in you, it won't happen around you. And it won't happen in our city. And it definitely won't happen in our church. At the day of Pentecost, in the the book of Acts, chapter 1 and 2, in the upper room, well, there was 120 of the disciples who were sent there. And I keep talking about that because I think 
we have to get some basics reestablished in our church that we've kind of gotten away from, and we're going to get back to some simple things. We're going to make the gospel simple. Amen? Can we make it simple? It's not hard. The gospel ain't hard. It's easy. And the reason it's easy because it doesn't matter. It doesn't involve you. We put so many rules and regulations on how to, we'll give you a five-fold brochure on how to become a member of our church, but we won't tell you how to repent. Come on, church. We can do better. At the day of Pentecost, the, the people gave themselves to prayer. How often have we, have we come in and just gave ourselves to prayer? Not just on Sunday. Everybody's an awesome Christian on Sunday. I'm talking about Monday through Saturday. How much time do you devote to your prayer in your home by yourself with you and God? See, we all have relationships with Christ, but it's usually at church when everybody else is around. What is your walk with God in your prayer time? They gave themselves to service. They served one another. Are we serving one another? That's part of revival. If we can't serve one another, how are we going to serve a multitude of people coming into our church looking for change? They gave themselves to complete consecration. Anything that wasn't holy, anything that sounded holy, anything that looked, un, that looked defiled, they cast it away from them. Can we do that? Can we do that? They gave themselves to financial stewardship. In Martin Luther's day, there was a great revival that we call a Reformation. What an amazing revival that was. Martin Luther gave himself completely to proclaiming the Bible and truth and purity. When's the last time we spoke truth? When's the last time we told somebody the truth in love to bring them out of some things? And I'm not asking you to run around and act like you're anointed to tell everybody what's wrong with their sins, what's wrong with their life. If it doesn't go through the elders, before you do anything, say anything to anybody, check with the elders. If they say it's okay, then it's okay. We don't need to be running around and running our mouth if God didn't approve it. They gave themselves to complete consecration. The cost was great for Martin Luther, but the rewards were greater. Amen. The cost was great for like Christian sinner. But the rewards were greater. The cost was great for Paul Golden. But the rewards are greater. So what's the secret, church? What's the secret to revival? What is this mystery surrounding revival? How can we only hear about things like this that's happened in the past? Don't we, in all our history books, and we talk about all these great revivals, Pastor used to tell me all the time about the um, Grace and Glory movement, how everybody come out of there, and Sandy's grandpa, and your dad, I believe, and all these great pastors that came out of this whole movement, and here we are, still talking about the past. Or, on the flip side of the coin, we're talking about what's coming. The revival's coming. I mean, how many preachers have you seen on TV get on there? Let's get ready for revival. We got to be ready for revival. It's coming. It's coming. But like Brother John has been asking the Lord for the last year, and I stand in 100% complete agreement with him, 
as do many of you. Why not now, Lord? Why not now, Lord Jesus? Why not here in this place with your people? Can revival break out? You know, it only takes one. It only takes one. Do we have one committed in here? No hands went up. Do we have one person committed in here for revival? So what's the secret to revival? It's a threefold chord. Number one, God's people giving of themselves. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 7.14. 2 Chronicles 7.14. You know where I first learned about this was at a Promise Keepers event. And it was actually a song. Many years ago at the Astrodome. 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. If my people, I go back to God as a loving God. He's not going to force anything on you that you don't want. If you don't want him in your life, he's not going to invade your life. If you don't want him in your house and you lock the door, he's going to stand there and look through the windows, but he won't come in until you invite him in. We are all his people. We are all called by his name. But what we struggle with is humbling in ourselves. We struggle to be humble because we, we get this prideful spirit and we want to rise up and we want to try to correct all the wrongs in everybody else's life, but we don't want to correct the ones in ours. And when somebody tells us about the wrongs that's in our lives, we get all bent out of shape and say, you don't judge me. While at the same time, you're judging your brother. And pray. We have to pray. We have to seek God's face everywhere we go. From the time we wake up, when we're brushing our teeth, when we're driving down the road, when we're at work, we are seeking God's face. And turn from our wicked ways, which to me is the hardest thing we're ever going to do as Christians. Because it's so enticing to sin, isn't it? So enticing to fulfill the desires of the flesh. But you'll get the rewards of that. And as long as we're fulfilling the desires of our flesh, we're never going to see revival. Complete consecrated. Completely consecrated. And we have to humble ourselves in prayer. And we have to be witnesses in unselfishness. And number two, God's people consecrated and compassionate and bringing lost people into the services. How many of y'all invited somebody this morning to church or this week? Well, I'm going I'm to stand here and, and tell you that I failed that test this week. You know, I didn't invite one person to church this week. Not one person. Why? I met plenty of people. All I've been to Walmart 20 times this week. I mean, I had plenty of opportunity to invite somebody to church. I've got a whole place at work with hundreds of people in the offices and cubicles running around. I have plenty of opportunities to invite somebody to church. Why didn't I? Because I'm busy. I'm busy. I got things to do, people to see, places to go. But that's exactly what God wants. But he wants you to take him with him. So I'm sorry, Lord, that I failed this week. But I did good last week, Lord. But I failed this week. But I'll do better next week. Can we do that? Can we do better next week at inviting people? 
and bringing them in, there has to be a deep interest in revival. We have to recognize sin in its true form and call it what it is. We also have to turn away from sin and towards the light. We have to realize that lostness of the unsaved is real. There are so many people around us, when they die, they're going to go straight to hell because they aren't saved and they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that's a sad reality of the life that we live in. But maybe it's because you're there to be that light for them. So when they do get ran over by a car, you've already spoken into their lives. Am I preaching to myself? We have to understand the seriousness seriousness of lost people. They ain't going to come to us. And moving in on on this new year, part of one of the visions that God has given me for Light Christian Center is an increased presence on the streets from our church, bringing people in. So what that means is we're going to need people to give up of some things, some time. Give up some of your Saturdays for outreach. Give up some of your finances to, to, to pay for Christian starter kits to hand out to people. But what is that compared to one lost soul who gets saved? What is that? And you think about your own salvation. How did that affect your life that somebody gave up of their time and their resources and they helped you through some things? We have to realize how serious lost people are and that we need to reach them. We have have to go where they are because they aren't going to come to us, but our influence will bring them to Christ. Number three, God gives the increase. We have to understand when we're going and finding lost people or anything that we're doing, it's God that gives the increase. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. The Apostle Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Psalms 127, verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. Who build it? Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Who's guarding your house? Who's guarding the gates? Who built your house? God will give the increase when we give ourselves to the task. We got to do more than talk about it, church. We got to live about it. We got to be about my father's business. Talk is cheap. It's really cheap. You need to show me. Or the Lord. Show the Lord. Don't show me. When we surrender ourselves to God, ready and willing to be used, we become witnesses of his power. And in And in one of his many writings, Martin Luther King Jr. said, and I quote, there was a time when the church was very powerful. It was during that period that the early Christians rejoiced when they were deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed in. In those days, the church was not just a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion, but it was the thermostat that transformed the whole of society. We can be there, April 16th, 1963. And again, Martin Luther King Jr. said, and I quote, it is our job as ministers to bring the church back to the center of the human race. But we can only bring the church back to the center of the human race 
when we bring Christ back to the church. We have to bring Christ back to the church. As I prepare to close this morning, we've been talking about revivals of times past, how great they were, how many lives got saved, these big tent revivals, these big prison revivals where things were being, people's lives were being transformed by the hundreds and the hundreds and the thousands, and how many people were saved. And we've also talked about them in the future. We've been looking for revivals to happen ever since I've been in church. I keep hearing about revival. It's coming. It's coming. Revival's coming. But the problem is when we keep talking about the past and we're looking for the future for it to happen, it goes with us. We never get anywhere. We got to stop talking about what was and stop talking about what could be and start living for what is. We plan these great events. We, we schedule these superstar preachers. They come in and they pump us up like we're at a pep rally. Go team, go. But they leave us more confused than when they got there. Because when the lights are turned off and the excitement fades and we get back to being normal, revival is something that you have. It's something God does for his people. It's inside of you. It's a process. It's everywhere you go. It's a daily mindset that if I'm having revival, somebody around me will too. There was a salesman selling fountain pens. And he spent a long time explaining to this business owner why he needed these fountain pens. He told him how smooth the ink would flow when he started writing. He explained how the pen would fit perfectly in his hand with ease, with grace. He told him that the weight of the pen was a perfect balance because it was perfectly machined with these million-dollar machines to make this one little pen. Everything was precise. They used metal on this pen off of some of the metal they used on the space shuttle. He convinced this business owner that these pens would set him apart from all his fellow businessmen. So he did it. He persuaded the small business owner to order 500 pens. Wow. And as he is writing the order in his notebook, the businessman suddenly said, hold on. Hold on. Cancel that order. And he turned around to wait on a customer. The salesman left the man's store in anger. He was perplexed because he thought it was a for sure sale. And later that day, the, the merchant's bookkeeper asked him, Sir, if you don't mind me asking, why did you cancel that pen order? Why? responded the man. Because he talked to me for over an hour on how great those pens were, even using forcible arguments. And it was time, when it was time for him to fill out the order, he used a mechanical pencil to write everything down. So what's the point? You can't sell something you don't believe in yourself, church. If you believe it, other people will believe it. If it's part of your life, it'll be part of somebody else's life. Don't talk about something you don't understand. If you're not living it, Zip it. If you want revival, 
It's got to be in you. It, gotta, it has to start with you. Doesn't matter what anybody else is doing in the sanctuary. Doesn't matter what anybody else is doing around you. It only takes one. Can we pray this morning? Can we pray this morning? Church, if you believe it, they will believe it. God's word cannot be without God's people. And God's people cannot be without God's word. It is the word of God that builds the church. It is the word of God that is deep-rooted inside of us that brings revival. And it is the word of God that shows us what we need to repent from. How many of you are ready for revival? In order for revival to come to our city, our nation, it must first come to our city. In order for it to come to our city, it must first come to our church. And in order for it to come to our church, it must first get revival deep inside of us. Because God can't get anything out of us that we don't first have in us. So here's the secret. Give ourselves to service. Bring people to Christ and the services and know that God gives the increase. Hey, this is Christian Golden. I wanted to thank you so much for joining us today and listening to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, I'd like to ask you to do a couple things for us. The first is to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date with everything going on here at LCC. Also, you can help us reach others around the world by investing today at lightchristiancenter.com slash give. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless you and have a great day.